Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house or use the promo code house checkout to get 20% off your order and free shipping. This is episode 81 of Beers, Business, and Balls, your favorite podcast. I'm Jake and that's Will. We've got another double dipper. Um, first of all, this cold is killing my vibe. I'll just mm-hmm. tell you that. Uh God, it was 18 degrees when I woke up this morning. That's not fun. Um, and it puts a damper on it when, you know, we're one of the interviews will be airing today from our friends at Rheingeist in Cincinnati. That was taken when it was 78 degrees just a couple of weeks ago. So, so that really sucks, but we're getting there. We're getting back to warm beer weather. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense, but we are almost into, well, it is technically spring, but shit it is spring i think it is technically spring yeah um we're about a week into we're more than a week into spring so happy spring it's nine days in it's 20 degrees in the time. <laughs> yeah and right now it's 17 degrees outside in, in new england goodness gracious um yeah crazy stuff but um just to start things off here as we hop right into the beer segment Got to give a shout out to uh, to our Instagram, the Rhode Island Beer Poll. Uh, we basically had a bracket. It's bracket season. Everybody knows that. Um, we had a bracket of all the Rhode Island breweries and the community showed out. I mean, we gained probably like a few hundred followers from that. Um, but, you know, a lot of involvement in ranking the best beers in Rhode Island. Um we're down to the finals as this is airing here. Yeah, I mean, we still have a couple more hours before the finals, but it's between Ravenous Moniker and Proclamation and Newport. Um, was a little surprised. I mean, again, there was no bias in this. Randomized the bracket three times. Just a little surprised by how some of the breweries turned out. A lot of early on upsets or just thought they would move on further but one thing I have noticed from this in particular is South County shows up in terms of breweries yeah there there are individual cults and and followings for certain ones uh for example 12 guns they did not make it to they made it to the sweet 16 and ultimately lost but they had dozens and dozens of dozens of people uh, DMing the Instagram. So between them and then Ravenous, I mean, there is a whole following between Ravenous. There's people with Instagram handles. It's like will underscore Ravenous. I mean, oh my God, every are, five minutes, it's there's DM, a ton. Ravenous, DM, Ravenous. <laughs> there like, is oh a ton. God. So they are neck and neck right now with Moniker and Proclamation and Newport are fairly close as well. So yeah, but the Rhode Island craft beer community came out for this, this polling and it was cool to see, you know, some, just a, a couple of high level, uh, I guess you can call them upsets for sure, but uh, proclamation ekes out long live by five votes. And we're not talking like 10 to five here. We're talking 256 to 251. That's, a lot of votes for both sides. Yeah. Um, well, right now, I mean, right now, upset. right now, by the time this airs, we will have a winner, but 
Ravenous is up 454 to 446 against yeah. Moniker. And then Proclamation and Newport are in the, you know, not as not as narrow, but there's still some time left. Yeah, I think Prox running away with it, which, you know, that not too late. Again, it's less than 100 votes, and that can be made up very quickly. But, I mean, you look at Prox, it's 343 to 267. And the other side, it's, as you mentioned, it's like less than a 15-vote difference. I mean, that's with 400 votes aside, um, that's a lot. That's a, it, it goes to show how many, like this beer community – and I think we saw that in Cincinnati too, when, when the folks at Rheingeist had, what is it? They have like over, is it 90 K followers, something like that? Hundred um, something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, these breweries show out and it, you spend time at a brewery, basically you're following them on Instagram, you're engaging with their stuff. And that's, it's cool to see that not just in Rhode Island, but in Cincinnati, um, you know, with, with the folks at Ryan guys too, we will interview today. Um, we're going to go over soon to Iceland Brown and Chris Shields. Iceland is the assistant general manager over at Ryan guys. Chris Shields is the director of education. We sat down with them. This was interview number two of the weekend from a couple weeks ago. Um, let's talk about Ryan guys first. I mean, we'll talk about the environment. We'll talk about all, uh, you know, the the styles of beer and things like that. But we take this time beforehand to kind of shout out any of the beers we had there. Um, what kind what comes to mind for you, Will, to, uh, you know, from the Rheingeist trip, anything that stands out? Um, I mean, the Rheingeist environment itself was, was one that I've never seen before in a Rhode Island brewery and an American brewery. They, they had such, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, it was like one giant beer hall that had cornhole going on, a lot of different colors. But for the beer itself, I mean, they their Bach was, I thought, in the top half, probably even the top top five, probably um, compared to the other ones. But their I think truth, that's, that's yeah, reasonable. Their Truth IPA was surprisingly very very good, um, just because again another Cincinnati brewery. You just thought. Okay, Midwestern, the Weeder beers, those Bach beers, but their variety was was through and through. And then the Truth, which was named, I believe, top 100 IPA in the country. Yeah, 2014, it made the top 100 beers in the world. Yeah, not, not even beers. IPAs, yeah, beers. So that one was uh, very good. And then another one I had, I'm trying to pull up the name. <laughs> we came back the night after and it was a blur on what beer we had. I I'll, I'll be honest with you, but well, the Bach Bach goat was very good. That was good. I, yeah. I will give a quick shout out to the folks at Ryan guys specifically for Bach Bach goat was delicious. I gave that a four out of five. That, yeah. That'll be my rating this week. Um, so yeah, I, had the, I had the perceptual passion, which was a sour, which I thought was very oh, good. Oh, right. But wild like and, that, right yeah wild enough i found that on november 2nd 2019 at brian townhouse k7 i had nitro cob stopper from ryan guys which was another sour i don't know what the hell there's How? a i don't know there's a picture of the can and we're just in the parking lot but i've had i've <laughs> i didn't see that i didn't see that before until now it's like we went to, we've, I've had a Rhinegeist beer before going. 
That's that's a hell of a throwback. Crazy. November 2nd, 2019. That was... You didn't even go to... None of us went to Bryant at that point. So what the hell are we doing? 2019? November 2019. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Were you visiting Paige? I guess. I'm going to have to go... That might need some investigation. That Yeah. November 2nd, 2019. I'm looking the best place to find like what you were doing in Google my Google photos. Yeah, camera roll photos November 2nd. November 2nd, 2019. I had November uh, 1st, the night before we went to a Providence hockey game, you and it, I. It was a Bryant um family and friends day. Oh. But I don't know who gave it to me. <laughs> what the hell? That's so funny. And you gave it a 375. Yeah. Interesting. I'll, I'm going to toast you. I'll have to do some more research to see who gave it to me, but not too bad. Not what a weird, bad. what a weird throwback. That's. Who would have thought? Comes full circle. Uh, two and a half years later, you're you're going. And for and some I, reason, I, yeah. you can't find Bok Bok Goat on. Oh, I found it finally. Um, yeah, Bok Bok Goat. It's I I was very impressed with the uh, the folks at Ryan Guys for that. Again, I think um, let's call it a top five buck that I mm-hmm. had that weekend for me anyway for my personal taste. Um, I think. A top five Bach from the weekend. Um, again, it's unfair because we had a lot of good Bach that we just quite honestly like it all. It's it's very similar to what we talked about with the IPAs after the beer festivals where, you know, you just have a bunch of them. You're like, oh, it's pretty good, right? Um, but yeah, they, they did a good job with it. Um, we've talked enough about Ryan guys. Let's turn it over to the to the experts, uh, Iceland Brown and Chris Shields. They spent a lot of time with us. They talked about um, what Rheingeist and Cincinnati meant to prohibition, um, you know, the, the environment, what it means to the city, uh, the German style tap room. And then we talk about truth as well. Uh, again, top 100 beers in the world in 2014. So let's Hop over to Rheingeist in the historic over the Rhine district. Here is Iceland Brown and Chris Shields live from Cincinnati. All right, everybody with us this week back at Bachfest. We are with Chris Shields and Iceland Brown at Rheingeist Brewery. You'll see the video in a little bit, but I mean, this place is absolutely enormous. It's beautiful, much bigger than anything we see in Rhode Island. So we appreciate the time and uh, how's everything going? Great, yeah, in uh, Ohio, bigger state, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty pumped, you know, to be here. Um, let's talk Rheingeist. Uh, you know, this is, you know, a large venue, as we talked about, but um, what, you know, take us through the story of how Rheingeist got founded, um, you know, some of the things that you guys are focused on as, a, as an entity, and, uh, you know, at a high level, what is Rheingeist? 
and there's silence. <laughs> Um, I think I'll let you uh, take it from the beginning, Chris. I think you've been here a little bit longer than I have. It's true. A few months. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, Ryan Guys was founded uh, by two guys, uh, Bob Bonder and Ryan Golden, and uh, opened in the uh, end of June 2013. So coming up on our ninth anniversary, and we've always been in this space. Uh, we are using more of this space than we were at, at the beginning, that's for sure. Um, and. Over the, the last almost nine years, we've grown a lot, uh, added a bunch of people to the team. Uh, we're uh, we're now uh, in a uh, we've started an employee uh, stock ownership program, so on our on our way to being employee owned, and um, that's sort of like the, the very nuts and bolts of, of our founding. Uh, yeah, we're we're in in downtown Cincinnati. The neighborhood's called OTR, or Over the Rhine. It's an old German neighborhood. Uh, definitely a lot of ties to, you know, like with Bachfest and, and that German heritage aspect. We've, uh, we've been making Truth, our flagship, which is an American IPA, since day one. I don't know. What, else? what do you want to know? That was good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll share some stats. I mean, we read that you are the 28th largest craft brewery in all of the United States. So, pretty cool. And uh, over 100,000 barrels of beer per year. So, those are two things that, I mean, again, from our small state coming to here, it's like, not bad, not too shabby. But we'll go into both of your backgrounds. So, tell us how you ended up at Rheingeist and, you know, what are your day-to-day -day activities and what are your roles within the, uh, within the brand? Sure, yeah. Um, I actually came here from another local craft brewery called 50 West. Um, it's out actually on the east side of town, funny enough. Um, and uh, I was there for about three years, kind of helped them get uh, off the ground. I was one of their kind of first employees when they opened, and I just kind of fell in love with the industry. Um, I had been in food and bev before, um, but there's just something about craft beer that really resonated with me that I thought was really fun, um, especially here in Cincinnati. Um, the craft beer community is extremely tight-knit. Um, there's obviously a lot of competition, but there's also a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun. Um, so I knew that it was something that I wanted to stay in, um, and when it was time for me to, you know, make a transition, uh, you know, I, I went with the big dog. You know, Ryan Geist is definitely a, a, a big fish um, in Cincinnati, and it was a goal of mine uh, to find my niche here, and I've been uh, fortunate enough to do that. Um, I've been here for about six years. I started as a bartender in the tap room and moved up through management, and now my primary focus is planning our events and activations. Um, so everything that kind of makes the taproom experience what it is. Um, we pride ourselves on what we call surprise and delight, um, which is just kind of this sense of novelty, this sense of wonder, this sense of how did they do that. Um, so it's kind of my job to bring that sense of novelty to the table. So all of our large-scale events, um, our tour program, uh, things of that nature kind of fall under me. Nice. And Chris, as a director of education now, too, as we transition to you, you know, what, is that, what does that mean at a brewery? What does that right? mean? Yeah. <laughs> In general, too, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work my way there. I think makes uh, makes the most sense. Uh, I joined uh, a few months before Iceland. As I said, I just uh, this week actually celebrated my seventh anniversary. Congratulations! Thank Good you. work. Thank you. Uh, it's my, my longest tenure of any job, <laughs> and uh, actually joined Rheingeist as a uh, production brewer. Uh, so, so 2015 uh, came in the building was was brewing beer. I helped launch our cider program. I've got some cider, and as we continue to grow and hire more folks and, and do more things out in the community, the tap room, and just uh, around the, the city at, at that time, 
we, we really identified that we we wanted to have everybody that worked at Ryan Geist at a, as a start kind of have at least a basic understanding of beer and how it's made and what we do as a, a brand. So I sort of fell into doing that. Uh, I would say that I was one of the few brewers that we had at the time that was willing to do things like uh, one of the first events I ever did was being on a brewer's panel at Blockfest mm. uh, in probably 2015. And when when brewers, you know, uh, these are generally people who have self-selected to spend their time alone in a warehouse, they're not always the most uh, <laughs> eager to talk about what they do in a, in a public way. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I think it's fun. I, I love sharing that aspect of, of what brewers do and what we as a brewery do, I think we bring a lot of uh, excitement to the community between not just the beer, but the events and the the time room and everything that we do. And over time, I sort of transitioned from doing a little bit of that and mostly brewing to I basically don't ever brew anymore and do everything from internal staff training, working with our uh, wholesaler partners, retail uh, accounts. Um, being active within the industry as far as like conferences and, and, and state and national organizations and I get to do you know fun stuff like this and just like talk to people about beer and the, the cool stuff that we do I mean that's why we're doing this podcast you know we, we love the we everyone loves beer you know for the most part but we love to hear you know the people behind all of that beer you know the behind the brewer scenes and you know heading into the history of Cincinnati and why we're here in Bachfest I mean this building in particular, you know, runs back to the Prohibition days, but from your perspective and from your knowledge, what does the craft beer community look like in Cincinnati, and how far does that history run? I think I'll, I'll, I'll take it as, if we, if we call it um, local beer drinker history, I think that, that line runs really, really deep. Uh, before Prohibition, Cincinnati had, like, 35 breweries and I think there were like over 15 just in OTR in our small little neighborhood and you know sure they were making beer for the region you know, this was the west back then pretty much um, but a lot of that beer was also getting consumed in Cincinnati and Cincinnati has a long history of drinking a lot of beer and, and being you know passionate about that beer and, and supporting the beer from here um that's certainly been the case with, with Rheingeist, but you know, really drawing that line all the way back to pre-prohibition, the unfortunate thing was, um, whereas some of the, the big major brewing players that have been around since before prohibition, they, they managed to survive, and none of the breweries in Cincinnati really did, um, not in any meaningful way for very long after prohibition. So, you know, we we look at it as an opportunity to connect to some of that history. And, and revive some of that mentality of, of drinking in your community and supporting your local beer. Um, you know, Iceland talked about 50 West. You know, they're they're another brewery that like may have a, a, a very different like atmosphere and vibe from what we do, but they make great beer and they're good folks. And we, we you know, all kind of get together. And I mean, it's not unique to Cincinnati, but it, it is a little bit unique to, to, to craft beer, I think. And that, that through line of just connecting with the community and you know being a you know being a, a, a place to relax, a place to you know let your hair down and, and, 
and just enjoy, you know, the end of a day, I think is, is something that's been going on in Cincinnati for, you know, many decades. So specific, yeah, go no, ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. Anything to add? Um, yeah, no, I think that we have a lot of pride in our roles, particularly in the OTR neighborhood. Um, we kind of came in and bought this building during a time where there wasn't a lot else in the neighborhood. Um, it definitely was in need of some revitalization, and we definitely kind of got in on the ground level of that initiative um, and kind of revitalizing the neighborhood, bringing the energy, um, bringing people back in. Um, and this uh, building actually uh, originally was part of the bottling facility for Christian Moorline, which is one of Cincinnati's historic breweries. It's one of our longest standing breweries. Um, so we're really proud that we were able to come into this space and kind of make it our own. Um, you know, over the course of many years of renovations, we've actually found remnants of the Christian Moorline, uh, like bottles, things of that nature. I have got wow. some that I can show I mean, you. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So those are really cool. And just um, it, occupying the space that has those type of artifacts to offer us and this type of history has been really meaningful. Um, and I think that part of, you know, what I enjoy about my job is that over the years, we really have become kind of a community hub. Um, we are a little bit of a hive where people can kind of meet and gather, even if it has nothing to do with Rheingeist. We host a lot of groups with other interests who are just looking for a space to gather and we're really really happy that we can offer that yeah so let's talk about the product now right uh, the stuff everybody comes here for um, you know we're, we'll tell you what we're drinking we'd appreciate if you guys give us kind of some sort of background I know Iceland you recommended the the Bach uh, the Bach Fest special yeah, basically yeah, so walk us through that it. yes walk us through uh, what's what's on the table right now um, I love our Bach beer. Um, this is actually called Bach Bach Goat, which Bach, I love. Bach Goat, yes. I love yes. a clever name. Very um, good. You know, the craft beer industry <laughs> loves a pun. Um, Ooh, we are no exception. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I think that our version of it is is really solid. I think it's full flavored without being too intense. Um, for me personally, it kind of reminds me of a Honey Nut Cheerio, which is very nostalgic. I do taste it. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that little hint of breadiness, that little hint of sweetness. Um, this is one of my favorite seasonal releases. Um, it's definitely a limited run each year, so I like to uh, get my fill of it while it's here. Um, Chris can probably speak a little bit more to the ingredients and kind of how we make it. Yeah, so, um, you know, Bach is, uh, you know, I think most people think Doppelbach. You know, you think the classic big bruiser, you know, uh, rich, sweet uh, beers. But I always like to think of Bach as more of a category than uh, an individual style. It's really a group of, of, of styles. The, uh, the, the some of the history there, and I'm certainly not a, a Bach history expert, but uh, and there are some in Cincinnati for sure. Uh, but one of the things uh, Bach was really initially just described a beer of a certain strength, so you had a lot of variation of types of beer. So uh, Bach Bach Coat is uh, it's a Maybach or a Helles Bach, so it's a little bit lighter in color, a little bit more uh, bitterness than like a Dunkel's Bach, a Dark Bach, or um, what you normally see is a Doppelbach being a double Bach. You can have sort of double Hellas Bach, but it's pretty rare. Um, yeah, this is, you know, clocks in at 6.4%, so sessionable for, for a Bach, for sure. Um, I struggle to call anything over 5% yeah. <laughs> When you're talking about Bachs, you're talking about big beers. Um, they're, they're just big big beers inherently, uh, big lagers. Um, yeah, so ours is it's pretty traditional uh, malt bill. Just Pilsner, Munich, and Vienna, um, probably in the reverse order of that. Um, and then uh, we use uh, Cascade hops for, for bittering, which is a little non-traditional. It, it provides just a, a subtle hint of like a, a little bit of a citrus fruity note. 
Uh, you don't get much flavor and aroma from a bittering addition, but we really like uh, in, in beers like this to, to bitter with something like Cascade because it gives it just that that touch of citrus. Uh, we do the same thing in our American lager, which is called Cheetah. And then also just a Glacier, which is just a nice sort of like, um, you know, very continental style, uh, floral kind of earthy earthy hop. But yeah, I, I think uh, Hellesbach's kind of my favorite of the category because uh, I love bitter and certainly this is malt balanced, but uh, having a little bit more bitterness, I think, uh, for, for me really brings it, it, it together. Solid, and then, then I had the resurgence. It was a it was no. a cherry sour. You sour. recommended it. It right. was um, one of the oh, last ones in the list. Infrared eclipse. Infrared eclipse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Infrared eclipse. So tell um, us about this one. The infrared eclipse is part of our outer reaches line, um, which is kind of uh, how we identify our sours. Um, we have an amazing sour program, and they do all kind of have that spacey theme. So we've got you know infrared eclipse, string theory, science fiction. Uh, stuff like that that's really exciting. Um, we're actually hosting an event this coming week in collaboration with the Cincinnati Observatory where they're actually going to be bringing telescopes to our rooftop. That's cool. So Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I think that's so fun and such a novel way to kind of cross-promote each other and do something with another Cincinnati institution that we have a lot of respect for. Um, so they're going to have uh, astrologers on hand. Um, or astronomers. Astronomers. <laughs> astronomers, I'm sorry. Astrologers <laughs> are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. I, I um, suppose the two aren't mutually exclusive. Okay, everybody, everybody's got a star sign, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, so their astronomers, excuse me, will be on hand to kind of guide people through some uh, telescope viewing, which I think is really exciting. Um, and then we'll have 12 of our outer reaches selections on tap. So it's just a night of cel uh, celebration of sours. Um, and kind of delving into into that program and what that means. So Are you enjoying the infrared? I, I like it a lot. It? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> want to like your I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have box all weekend, so it's like gotta yeah, try absolutely. a little bit of everything. It's a, it's a very palatable tartness. That's one of my favorites right now. Yeah, and then going back on that though, it's like you have a ton of events going on in the next couple weeks. I mean, next couple days rather. We it's do. Like, yeah, 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 it's not even um, weeks at this point. So, well, what's going on with Rheingeist in the in the coming um, days, weeks, and months? Uh, this weekend is actually our local soccer team, uh, FC Cincinnati. It's their home opener. Um, we have a very close partnership with them and with the stadium. So uh, we're having a watch party here. Uh, so we'll have a street team in from uh, on top in, of Bachfest. Yes, on top <laughs> of Bachfest. Going to be rowdy. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. Um, so we'll have a street team in from Cincinnati, or FC Cincinnati, who will have their mascot taking photos of people, kind of passing out some swag and, you know, creating hype for the game. Uh, we've definitely become a pregame destination. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a busy afternoon for us. We're definitely looking forward to that, looking forward to our collaboration with uh, the Cincinnati Observatory. And then fingers crossed we'll have a baseball opening day sometime yes. soon, but that's going to be for now. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look hopeful, but know, you know, we're rooting for it uh, for sure. But, Absolutely. But off that too, you know, the, the rare beer fest is something you guys have done uh, traditionally as well. You know, breweries bring the rarest products in. What are some of the stories behind that? Is there something that sticks out that you're like, wow, what the hell did that brewery or, or person bring in to, to Rheingeist? Um, Call me in the best way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because we, we really don't curate that beer list very much. We just kind of reach out and we say, like, you know, hey, it's, it's called Great Beer Fest. Bring Take the hint, beer. basically, yeah. You know, and, <laughs> you know, we always encourage breweries to... to and we say bring because we, we really try to encourage uh, brewers to, or somebody from the board to come out and participate in the fest. Uh, we try to uh, facilitate that by, you know, we buy all the beer, 
We, uh, you know, we grab hotel rooms for anybody that's going to come. We, try, you know, we try to make it as easy and affordable as possible. As a brewery, we understand everything that goes into a, a beer festival, and so we we do our best to alleviate as much of that as possible. But yeah, we really just say bring something that you're excited about. Bring something that you want to share with, you know, the beer drinkers of Cincinnati, and people don't disappoint. I mean, we and you know, not to say that like, you know. We get a lot of really great sours. We get a lot of really great, like, big barrel-aged beers. But we also get some, like, really beautiful, you know, uh, like, unique lagers or, you know, uh, cool IPAs or experimental things that don't really fit anywhere. And those are fun because those breweries are excited about those things, right? And they're, they're, they're excited to come and share that with all the people I feel like to a degree there's a there's a level of uniqueness to it, right? As there is in really any craft beer that anybody creates, but in the sense that this is mine, right? This is it, you know, maybe it sucks too, but but it's mine, right? And it's you know, I came up with a recipe, I you know, I brewed it, something like that, right? So I, I feel like that goes a long way. But rare beer fest, when uh, when typically is rare beer fest? It falls in the fall. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, it's it's typically uh, kind of like October-ish. Uh, it hasn't happened uh, in, in the most uh, recent history. Right. Um, but it, it's definitely something that we're, you know, we'd, we'd like to, to bring back. Um, but, again, I mean, it, it's, it's uh, a lot of work goes into that, a lot of coordination. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing in breweries that aren't normally in the state. Right. So uh, we also try to do that by the book. And, and so it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of, uh, you know, um, Phone calls to the, the state alcohol office and, and with wholesalers and, and, and with those breweries trying to make it, you know, we try to facilitate, as I said, as much as we can, but we want to make it, you know, smooth and easy experience for everyone, including, uh, you know, our, our state regulators and make sure that they're not, you know, uh, getting a getting a phone call in the middle of the Saturday afternoon and be like, what the heck is this thing going on in Cincinnati? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. try to do it above board. And, uh, it takes a while and it, it takes a lot of coordination, but. Hopeful that uh, you'll you'll see something in the, the near future about that, that festival. Oh, we're excited. And talking about Rheingeist again in terms of like its size, not only physically but impression-wise too. I mean, you have a couple hundred thousand followers on social media. Uh, over a million people have untapped you on, obviously untapped, but there are different beers every single year. What are your two favorites? And what is Rheingeist known for? If there was like, if someone was coming in for five minutes and they can only grab one beer they're grabbing truth right it's gotta <laughs> be the truth, truth. yeah, yeah. It's be truth. <laughs> one of the 100 best beers in the world in 2014 that's Ooh, uh that's that. the notes we dug up uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, good work you know, <laughs> truth i think truth is, is special it's, it's truly the beer that built reingeist mm -hmm. um our, our founding head brewer who's now our chief science officer it's it's based off one of his homebrew recipes and it's it's just, uh, I always say it's, it's you know, a West Coast style American IPA, but it's not just bitter. Um, there's a little bit of uh, Cara Red, a little bit of uh, rye in there, a little touch of Vienna. Gives it a just enough malt kind of character to balance it out. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's like almost orange. It's not the super pale, like straw colored. Um, and I, don't get me wrong, I love those beers. Um, as I said, I love bitter. But truth is, is both you know, big and bold, but also super approachable. And I I think that's a big part of its success and 
transitively our success. Uh, you know, truth is still, uh, you know, over 40% of our production volume. Um, and we're making you know, 150 beers a year or something like that. Um, obviously not all of them at that scale, but you know, we're making a ton of beer and, and truth kind of continues to, to shine as, as a, as a rock star. Um, you know, I, we all love it, but if people stopped buying it, we have to stop making as much of it. And so far, you know, that hasn't happened. I'm not going with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, I think about that, like it's pretty, pretty amazing that that's been our, our, our number one selling flagship beer since we opened it. I mean, it was on the day we opened and it's on today. But if you want to uh, uh, dig into some of my favorites, I, I have a really soft spot for um, some of our kind of more classic style stuff. Uh, we, we make an English mild, uh, dark mild, called Uncle. It's a huge favorite in this building. Uh, it doesn't like get a lot of traction at bars and restaurants and, and other places. Uh, but, you know, it's a 4% brown, you know, basically baby baby brown ale that uh, you know, it's, it's one of the beers that I first fell in love with when, when I came here. It's another one that we have had on since we opened. Yeah. Um, even as a non-IPA drinker, I can attest to the power of truth. Um, it really is. It's so well balanced. It's a, it's a, my go-to IPA. Um, I think my all-time favorite Rheingeist beer is a barrel-aged dark blend called Mishushu. Um, it's big, and it's bold, and it's a lot, and I just love it. I look forward to it every year. Um, every variation that we've made differs slightly because it is a blend of some other beers that's then barrel-aged. Um, so it's just extremely complex. Um, I also love that we have a, a naming convention within Rheingeist that kind of harkens to like some mythical creatures and Mishushu. <laughs> um, it's just fun to say. It's fun to spell. Um, Mishushu. I love, I like exactly. That. I love watching people walk up to the bar and their eyes get big when they the expect M1, yep, the... <laughs> they don't know exactly what to ask for. Um, so I definitely always look forward to that. Um, and then I think my other kind of go-to favorite is uh, our Grisette table beer. Um, it's a super traditional style. It's one that, you know, doesn't get a lot of airtime the way some of, you know, our IPAs and our sours do. Um, but it's just excellent. It's nice and full flavored. It's got a slight tartness. Um, it's a super low ABV. Um, and we sell it in a very affordable bomber. And the idea is kind of similar to like when you go to an Italian restaurant and there's just like a table red and a table white. It's your table beer. It's versatile. It pairs beautifully with food um, of all kinds. Um, and it's just a great, like, easy go-to. It's an easy grab. Um, and that's definitely been a mainstay for me. So and only available here. In the in the, in the building. Yes. yes in the building. You can buy it to go. Okay. Yeah. Yes. In, in cans, I take it, right? In bottles. Oh, in bottles. Cool. Yep. Very awesome. So... Let's get real, Bachfest this weekend, right? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, what does that mean for you guys? What does that mean for the, the city of Cincinnati, the beer community here? You know, uh, yes. take us through just what this weekend means to Absolutely, you guys in yeah. the community. Um, you know, with the German heritage in Cincinnati, obviously, Bachfest is something that, you know, gets a lot of, a lot of attention, a lot of focus. Um, and there are some kind of long-held traditions that surround that. Um, as a newcomer to the, you know, fairly relatively, you know, fairly newcomer to the craft beer scene in Cincinnati, um, we've actually kind of always taken a bit of a backseat to the primary Bachman celebrations. Um, they're just so institutionalized that we want to do something that just kind of complements and dovetails. Um, that being said, in the last couple of years, you know, in a post-COVID world, I think there's a little bit of a restructuring of those celebrations, and we 
hope to get a little bit more involved in the future. So uh, for this year, we're just really excited to see it come back. Yeah. Um, we're excited to see the crowds come through and try our box this, uh, this weekend uh, and, you know, just kind of go from there with it. And Chris, your perspective, I mean, it's from, from the educational view, it's like, you know, you have a real opportunity to to not only teach the Cincinnati community about what Bach means and, you know, what, what traditional German beer means, but for those like us that are from Rhode Island that came out here, right? So what does that mean from your perspective? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is going to be more Bach beer consumed in Cincinnati this weekend than probably anywhere outside of Germany <laughs> for the rest of the year. Um, I mean, it is it is amazing. I mean, there are there are bars that have fifteen taps of nothing but Bach on this weekend. Like you, you don't wow. normally <laughs> do that, right? And, yeah. And, and as Asen said, it goes back to the that that German heritage and tradition. And like, I think of it as like when I moved here, um, I I'm about zero point zero percent German, uh, <laughs> but I own Lederhosen because I moved to Cincinnati, <laughs> and I was like, I have like this is part of it's part of our city, like. It, it, it's it's the, the heritage of our city, and it's just fun. We have a huge Oktoberfest. We do Bachfest. We do you know there's all these German societies that do festivals all year, um, and it's it's definitely something that's been been lacking um, with 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 COVID and all the restrictions that, that surround that. And and I'm excited to to get back to that, and the, I know the city's excited to get back to that. Well, we're excited too, and we appreciate the time thus far. Uh, we cannot wait to see you tomorrow. Before we close out, where can our listeners follow you guys on Instagram and social media, and how can they find your beer, not only in the Cincinnati area, but if they wanted to stop by as well? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Rheingeist. TikTok um, now? Oh, TikTok, Oh, Our much younger counterparts in marketing have us on TikTok now, and that's been really fun to engage with. Um, I love seeing the content that they create. It's always something fun and interesting. Um, and so, yeah, we're, uh, we're across platforms now. Um, we also have a newsletter that anyone can sign up uh, for via our website that has a little bit more in-depth information on the events, the activations, the beers that we're putting out. Um, our beer is available pretty pretty widely, uh, citywide. We're also in a lot of outside markets, ranging as far as Nashville, Chicago, and beyond. Um, so it's definitely a, it's getting easier and easier to find us. We hope to be even more easier on that in the future. Um, Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say uh, I, I wanted to make sure I got in a, a, a plug for uh, we're talking Bachfest, and I, I, I assume that this will uh, uh be airing sometime after tomorrow. Yes. However, uh, one of our one of our brewers, Megan, is uh, she is a finalist in the Sausage Queen oh. uh, competition. So Exciting. if anyone uh, listens to this and has access to a time machine, go back <laughs> and, and vote for Megan. Uh, she's repping repping Ryan Guy's at uh, at the Sausage Queen competition. Hot dog on roller skates. It's brilliant. Oh wow! We're, we'll we'll be, be making a pass. Yes, sausage. We'll, we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll cast the vote if we can. Does that go. can we cast I votes I like in person that. or? Yeah, I think it's, it's in person. It's like I think yeah. It's like a space. Oh, all right. Well, you got our vote. You got our vote. Megan, yeah. her name is yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that's say say less. We got you guys. Literally, we'll be a hot dog. Oh man, can't wait for the video on that. Yeah, if people want to visit you guys in Cincinnati, give a general. Is it Elm that you guys are on technically? Or yes. 1910 Elm Street. 1910 Elm Street. Yes. Ryan, perfect. Take the streetcar to the brewery district stop, get out, and walk up steps. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, uh, I will say the steps may be daunting after a few bucks, 
Uh, so you got to come here and drink the box and then go down the steps. I think that's easiest, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't wait to see this place tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're going to air this obviously after Bobfest, but Saturday, just looking at how much space you guys have. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be an electric crowd. Yeah. So, no, but thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Enjoy. And uh, go Ryan guys. Yeah, go yeah. Ryan guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And that was just Island and Chris, Ryan Geist Brewery. Great, great time talking with them. And again, if you are in Cincinnati, that's a must stop. That is a must go to one of the best environments, best experiences, and try to go for a soccer game as well, because we went after the fact. And I mean, one, we were overserved at that point, but uh, they were, they came out strong for, for the FCC game. So if you if you have that ability, definitely make it over there. And for the Bach Fest time, I mean, again, top five Bach out of the fifty there. So great beer segment yet again from our trip to Cincinnati. And now I'll swing it over to business, where we are. Is this founders and friends still, huh? Founders and friends. Founders and friends. <laughs> yeah. Sitting on a ton of interviews, so it's time to start moving along. But we have our good friend Bradley Adams and his co-founder Ali Bazuto of Aragami, very, very interesting Rhode Island-based startup. We've known Bradley for a few years now, and he is Mr. Entrepreneur himself, so we will let him tell the story with his co-founder. But here are Bradley and Allie, the founders of Aragami. All right, joining us this evening, we got Bradley Adams and Ali Bazuto, the co-founders of Aragami. Uh, before we get into your backgrounds, I mean, give us the one-minute e-pitch. We know about Bradley, but we want to hear more about Ali, of course. So, but give us the e-pitch of Aragami. Sure. Well, I guess let me start with Aragami, and then we can get into Ali, because <laughs> Ali's uh, got a great story here, and uh, she's an awesome co-founder. So, uh, But Aragami is focusing on making the materials that matter truly mobile. And one of the problems that we really found and highlighted is that consumers are still having a hard time getting access to important documents like insurance policies, um, you know, risk management services. Essentially, anytime they're in that point of crisis and they say, who do I need to call? Wait, I have, I bought a product that can cover, cover this. And what we're doing is we're working with those organizations like insurance carriers, uh, risk managers, or even benefit providers to essentially take those consumer-facing materials and create a mobile alternative for them to access that on any device. And the real secret sauce to what we do is for our partners and our customers, our platform allows a no-code method of essentially allowing them to create that channel. So usually, otherwise, you'd have to go develop a mobile app and hire developers, and that can be costly and timely. With our service, all you need is someone who can design a PDF, and you can essentially create a Digidoc or create something with Aragami that can be transferred to your consumers. Um, and they love it because their audience loves it. We get higher engagement rates than most of the other available channels. So a lot of our partners see two or three times more engagement on our product versus one of their existing uh, kind of initiatives going on. So we're really excited. We're still early stage. Uh, we bootstrapped the whole thing so far. We have an interesting story that we'll definitely get into. Um, but so far, things have been going good. And uh, we love to hear it. And obviously, yeah. our history goes way back, right? So we kind of know that you guys both had some industry experience before this, right? 
what were some of the things that were so pervasive to those customers and your users that you know you guys knew you had to kind of take the plunge and start solving some problems for them? And now we go to Allie. <laughs> she was reluctant to come on, but we got her in. We got her in. Thanks, guys. I mean, I think we started relatively small with uh, collegiate, higher ed, college and university space. And from day one, um, we saw that there was a need on campus to distribute emergency resources including Title IX sexual assault resources, right? Like, you come to campus, you're not familiar with being away from home in the first place as a student, um, and who knows what experiences you're going to go through. Um, we had a lot of clients telling us that they didn't know how to distribute that kind of stuff to students in a way that students would access it. So we're talking millennials, Gen Z here. Where are they? They're on their phones. So... That was our key into the space, you know, giving. It's a good point with, like, you know, the, the whole blue light conundrum, too, that we kind of were all in school for, for the most part. It's like, you know, the, the blue lights were a big initiative as far as sexual assault goes and things like that. You know, a big study went out found that most of them were dysfunctional and kind of goes to that point. It's like, you know, what resources were really available for people at a college, at a university, things like that. Exactly. Right? And that... A blue light is on campus, right? You gotta run to that. But what's in students' pockets day in, day out with a smartphone? So that's where we got our start. Do you wanna to speak to other places? Well, I think you kinda of bring up an interesting point about the blue lights though, right? Because I think so many of these solutions have been overthought about and complicated in a way where they're no longer relevant, right? And that's something we found at first in the student realm, because of course that's a risk management situation, right? A student's in trouble, they need to call someone, they can't get to a blue light or a blue light doesn't work. There's a huge risk for universities. There's a massive problem too. Massive problem, massive problem for the students involved. And unfortunately, that blows up into even the enterprise model of risk management, where a lot of our business and a lot of our partners also come from the world of travel. And companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars of years to protect their employees in certain events when you go do business travel, right? Like, you guys have both traveled to work, right? And I'm sure you guys, Snyder Electric, probably has a really great travel insurance policy. I'm sure they do, but... But would you know about it? I have, I don't know, my ass for my elbow when traveling for work. Well, yeah. there you go, Jake, you're a perfect customer. <laughs> no, but I mean, with Colette, it's like, when I was doing a lot of international travel, it's like, they had everything to the T in terms of like... That's a really good you know, point, though, because you're a travel organization, you know, that that's an organization that almost needs need more that resources. Yeah, yeah. Need that security. Well, exactly, and I think the problem that we found is there is no shortage of people dedicating the time and resources to building out the models and building out the products to support some of those times. But that kind of all falls apart if someone can't dial it on the phone, right? Because you think about, okay, we have this domino effect process where someone runs into a situation and they need help, something's got to trigger that domino. And if an employee's on a trip where they don't have access to that policy information, where they're now making that phone call and they say, hey, what's your policy number? Oh, I don't know, I didn't get one. Well, guess what? That traveler is now in danger, in trouble, and is now, uh, part of my French, up shit's creek without a paddle. You know? And that's what we've really come to solve is saying, hey, we're creating accessibility to the products that you need accessible, and in a way that actually makes sense to what your consumer expectations of those products are today. And that's really what's been the magic of what's made our customers really go back to origami again and again. Right. And you talk about this no-code 
kind of solution. That's in a way, it's a buzzword in the industry. It's like, oh, you don't need to, you know, you don't need analysts sitting, uh, and you don't need programmers, right? What truly makes this, you know, so unique to the industry right now? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll talk about how it is unique for our partners, and I'll let you, Allie, talk about the secret sauce of how we build our products and prototypes. But I think for our partners, what no code means is is effectiveness without complexity, right? Because a lot of the organizations we work with are these big enterprises who do have the budgets and resources to dedicate to these types of initiatives. But unfortunately, when you say, let's go build an app, there is people you have to hire, developers, skill sets you have to acquire, or you have to go reach out to a service provider to go build those things for you. Now you're talking about a back and forth to try to get these products out to market. And for our partners, a lot of them have very skilled and talented marketing teams who are used to producing collateral on a regular basis for customers. And they do this in uh, Adobe InDesign or Canva or you know Photoshop. And what we do is we say, Great, let's take that skill set that you have as a marketing person or as a UX designer, and let's make it easier for you to transcend those skills into actual a full mobile experience that would almost replicate a mobile app in many ways and make it easier for that organization and partner to, to go ahead and do those things. But Ali, how do we uh, build a lot of our prototypes here at Aragon? Should we change the light? Yeah. Seamless transition, first of all. Good work. <laughs> he knows, he knows. Get an A plus for transition. Right. So we have a computer-based dashboard where our clients can sign in and either upload a PDF or customize their digital document right on the dashboard. Like Randall said, no IT is necessary. All you need is basic design skills to get something into the dashboard. And at the end of the day, the end user can just scan a QR code and they get that mobile resource right on their phone in seconds. I just want to give Allie a quick shout out because she's being extremely humble. Let's just say we've shocked Fortune 500 companies with a very well-designed Canva document. So let me tell you, no tool is too small or low impact for, for prototyping. Um, so good job, Allie. So both of you came from the startup world and now are jumping into that endeavor in yourself. We'll start with Allie. It's like, what advice do you wish you had few years, you know, whenever you started this endeavor, but what advice do you wish you had that you're like, okay, you know, everything will be all right if I listen to life? Yeah, great question. I feel like you just need to speak your mind and ask every question you have. I think it's daunting, you know, if you're fresh out of school, getting into a new career, whether it's a small company, a large company, you just want to fit in and go with the flow, do your job well. Um, but it's hard. You gotta understand a lot of different complexities. And I guess my recommendation is ask every question you can. Make sure you understand everything, your capabilities, and you'll be good. And you, Bradley. I'll just say that comes from experience for Allie. She started as a marketing intern in the first startup as an undergrad and quickly elevated to a director of product by the time she was done and running day-to-day -day operations. So this is someone who knows how to build a couple skills and adapt to whatever situation it is. And I think that's kind of the lesson I took away from it is when we get so caught up in our idea of what things should be, no one really tells you what you need to do to actually get there. Right? And it's a very difficult thing to navigate on your own, 
because you don't, you're looking for those, those signs, right? That you're on the right path, that you're doing the right things. And I think you really have to find a way to say to yourself and be honest with yourself, do I feel like I'm learning something that's going to be impactful for what, I, what, what I'm trying to build here? And I think that's been one of the greatest challenges that we've had to overcome as new founders is how do we make sure that what we're building and focusing on is the right thing? And what are those key points for us to make sure that we're on that task? And really nailing, hey, what's that foundational principle and stat or feedback or engagement that we're looking for that tells us, like, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're a little bit better off than we were yesterday. You know? What, because you, you guys have taken a plunge, you know, you're in this thing. What's the most rewarding thing about all this? Definitely seeing the client use cases. I mean, we're lucky that our platform's easy to use. And like we talked about before, it's just uploading a PDF, but we've had clients who've gone above and beyond with basic HTML coding to create in-depth documents that suit needs that we never even would have thought up ourselves. So I think we're really lucky that we have the clients and the partners we do, that they love the technology, how they do, just like we do. It's awesome to see that in practice. Yeah, and I would say the coolest thing so far for me in this journey has been able to see people unlock something they didn't think was there because of our products. So like for example, we work with an organization called the UAW Trust, and what they do is they manage all the retiree benefits for UAW members. So you're now transitioning into retirement, you need help navigating retirement plan, your healthcare benefits, all the rest of it. And this of course, working with a mainly retiree crowd wasn't a very technical organization and they were looking for ideas about how they could go digital. And it was only after they implemented our first product, the uh, Touches Contact Card, just to deliver contact information to their members, that they got, I think it was literally about 36% of their members to download it within a year. Out of 170,000 members, they had about 60-something thousand downloads of the contact cards. Yeah, year one. Two, two mailers, two postcards out to all their members, and they got one-third, and they, they're having a hard time collecting email addresses, like, you know? And it, made, but it was more like them just opening their eyes saying, oh my God, our members want this. We never knew we could do this and we never knew that this was possible, but because of what your organization is doing and the technology you guys are producing, we now have a whole new channel available to us that we didn't have before, an audience that's notoriously difficult to get onto any tech platform. And that was the coolest thing to be a part of. Yeah. How does... As we close out, you know, how does somebody get started? You know, somebody's listening to us talking right now. You know, maybe they have a business. Maybe they're a consumer, right? How do you get involved with what you guys are building? I'll take that one first. You want me to go first? <laughs> I mean, I have, like, quick anecdotal. I, I think you need to connect yourself in the space you want to be in. And Bradley's really good at this. Just finding like-minded people in your community, whether it's entrepreneurs or people interested in technology. You just gotta go online and find communities of people like that and just start getting to know people. You, know, you never know what you're gonna, who you're gonna be and what kind of prospects you can get out of it, what other people are looking to build and how you can partner with other people. Let me rephrase, so that was all great. I, I didn't phrase the question properly. That was a, a plug for you guys, right? But but even still, I mean, you know, that's that's incredible startup advice to, you know, go find the, the right community that that you think you belong in. I think that, that means a lot for everybody. So Bradley, I'll leave it to you too, you know. How do you get involved with Aragami? But also how do you what's you know, what's the best advice for somebody that just wants to go take that patch to? Yeah. Well, 
I think the best advice I can always give is just get started, right? You guys are, I think, great examples of this and big proponents of it as well, where it's like, we tend to make these things more complicated than they are about just simply taking one foot in front of the other and making that slight movement towards progress, right? Because that's something that builds upon it, you get that confidence, you grow, and who knows? I feel like we get so focused on like where we need to end up that we forget that if we just focus on getting one foot in front of the other, who knows where you can end up? It could be even farther than you initially planned. As for how that story is played out with Aragami, well, we kind of have a unique story where uh, that company uh, Ali and I first met at was an early stage startup called Keynect Up. And I know you guys are familiar with this because we've known each other for some time here, but what happened is we were building this business and we had the experience to kind of go through as employees and have kind of work away from the founders and start to get more of our teeth into day-to-day -day business operations and what does it really take to get a business going. And unfortunately, when COVID happened, uh, the original founders didn't feel like there was enough life in the company to really carry on and progress. And, which was unfortunate, but at the time it was COVID. So, and if, you know, God willing, two years later, who knows where they would have ended up and whether or not that was a good call. But I believe it was, because ultimately what it turned out to be was an opportunity for Ali and I to say, hey, we see the impact of this business, we see the impact of this technology. And at that point, we had a new product going on that wasn't fully developed yet, but was in its early stages. And we said, hey, you know what? That could be something. And that's all it really was, was this could be something. And that was enough for Ali and I to say, hey, you know, it's a hot job market right now. We could have probably got great jobs as product developers or project managers at some well-funded startup that was on its way to an IPO. And we said, nah, let's get the leap. No, you took, you took the leap of faith. You took the leap. And two years later, we're still here as Aragami, fully paid, funded, and we have a great customer book supporting us every day. So, you know, sometimes life just works out. Well, I mean, that was perfectly well said, so we'll Good close work. it out on where can our listeners find your stuff online, engage with their content, and follow along the Aragami mission? Yeah, I think just look up uh, aragami.co is our website, www.aragami.co. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find our personal profiles on LinkedIn, too. And I think that'd be a great place to start if anyone's out there interested and they want to help making materials that matter mobile. Give us a shout, give us a ring, and we'd be glad to help out. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Ali and Bradley, Aragami, we appreciate the time, and uh, do enjoy the rest of the night. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Guys. Thanks, guys. That was Bradley Adams and Ali Pizzuto from Aragami. Uh, always a pleasure catching up with Bradley over a couple beers. Uh, that was live at Long Live Beer Works as well. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to see what Bradley creates. I really am because he's one of those guys that uh, smart beyond his years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what what problem he solves on a large scale because he he's on to something really. So um, another good business segment. We'll go into balls now presented by Manscaped. Uh, this is week number three for me with the lawnmower 4.0. And I will say having a light on my razor changes everything. Um, it's a little small, you know, sort of ambient bright white light. Um, it's, it's a total game changer. I know we've talked about how great Manscaped is. Uh, Lawnmower 4.0 is the product though. I am very satisfied, uh, with Manscaped, my new purchase for Manscaped. So what are you waiting for? Go to manscaped.com slash house, or you can do your regular shopping 
on manscaped.com. And when it asks you for the promo code, you put in house H O U S C you get 20% off your order. And you also get free shipping on your lawnmower 4.0 or any product in the manscaped portfolio. You've said it before. Will every man, woman, and child should own manscaped and I'm on board. I'm team manscaped now. Um, I mean, you should, been team, you should have been team Manscaped since we, since we got the partnership, but team, oh, lawnmower, team, <laughs> team, team lawnmower 4.0. Let me, let me clarify. I, my Manscaped teamdom is rejuvenated after my lawnmower 4.0 purchase. I've always been a lawnmower 3.0 owner before our partnership. Now it's to the next level. All lawnmower 4.0 manscaped.com. Um, okay. Final four. It's the, uh, the, I guess we're just calling this the Blue Buds Classic now because even though it's not very chalky, it's the Blue Bloods. Duke is going to play UNC first. Can you believe this? This is I the couldn't, first time yeah. in March Madness. Well, I mean, I, I guess it. They're in the same. It's, you know, it's tough for two teams in the same conference to meet up. I guess, but think about, it's been like almost a hundred years that this rivalry has been going on and not one single time they've met in March. I was shocked at that. But again, though, it's like, all right, you know, how many years? Yes, that they've been both dominant, but to be on the same side of the bracket. I I guess, but all these years, like not even like as stupid as it sounds, like they didn't even meet in the final, you know, like not in like the 1940s or something like that. I guess not. I mean, again, though, UCLA, Villanova in the more recent times, but we finally have it. Wish it was with, uh, with Coach Roy, but that's all right. Yeah, it's all right. If, if Hubert Davis is in an excellent job there, but like, so I'm just looking at Duke right now. Well, that's what, people... I mean, what is it? If, 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 they, if Coach K beats UNC, he would have beaten full, uh, and then he plays Kansas, right? That'd be Bill Self. Yeah. It'd be, you know, two guys that replaced Roy. Oh, you're that's a good point. Because right. yeah, Roy Williams was the uh he was a Kansas coach for a while. Yeah. So again, Kansas would have to make it to the finals and then Duke would have to win. Yeah. I don't know. This is this, whoever says that they're pissed off that it's all blue bloods, like shut up. But this is fun. This is well, actually is Villanova a blue blood? We had this debate on the first I don't podcast. Think, I think well, they're a, they're a I new blood. I think they're a new yeah. blood. We did we did have this conversation, and they they are not a blue blood. Um, yeah, they're they're a new blood. They're they're, they're new. A new blood. It's the Champions Classic that we can call it, right? Yeah. They've all won titles. Uh, they've all dominated. I, I don't know. I don't know what I want to happen. I said this a couple weeks ago, though. God is my witness, and, and you is my witness as well. I just don't think you can fuck with destiny at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think Coach K won't be denied. He He's there. He's knocking on the door. I don't think he's going to let uh, UNC beat him again because he was pissed off the last time. Um, everybody saw the viral thing of the coaches not dapping up Hubert, uh, at the end of the game. I don't know. I think he was really mad the way UNC just walked in the Cameron and ruined his, uh, living funeral. 
So maybe we'll get one. Maybe we'll get one on Saturday. Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, are they split this season, or is it, that was the only time they played each other? No, they played. They played twice. They split. They were going to meet for a third yeah. time in the ACC championship, but that did not happen. That did not happen. Yeah, I mean, if they met in the ACC championship and then the Final Four, that would be fucking crazy. That'd be crazy. But early predictions. I mean, yeah, I think Duke will probably squeeze by. Squeezes by. I was hoping for St. Peter's to still dance, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. They were just... That was a cool story. That was a cool storyline to follow. That was so cool. Um, Holloway is going to make a fantastic coach in the Big East. Can't wait for Josh to break that. And then... Yeah. The story of Doug. I was very... That was so cool. I mean... The story I, of Doug. I, Coming full circle, the first game I ever did PA for at Bryant was against St. Peter's and Shaw Holloway. Crazy. Um, that was his third game ever, Shaheen Holloway. And Grosso's, uh, I think that was Grosso's like third or fourth too. They were funny. It two coaches with like less than 10 years experience going like that. Um, Want to hear something screwed up too? That Jalen Murray kid, he goes by Juju. Bryant commit. He, he had committed to Bryant. Now he's carving it up for St. Pete's. That one stinks. Um, could have been the Bulldogs. Why not the Bulldogs to beat Arizona? I'm kind of on board with what you were saying now. Why not? Um, okay. Again, we'll never know. They we'll never know. Get past we'll right never state, know. So. Hopefully next season they'll, they'll be a 13 or 14. Or 14 and 15 so they can dance. Actually, so. you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty much public knowledge that they're moving to the American East, right? It's like I I guess unless something stalled out, yeah. Um, so what was Vermont a thirteen? Yeah, Vermont was a thirteen. Give me a twelve. <laughs> you want 12. New Mexico State status here? When they uh, when they uh, what's his name? Sharif uh, Sharif O'Neal. <laughs> I got a text from somebody unnamed. Maybe we'll catch up off air, but. When you tweeted that Sharif O'Neal was getting an offer from Bryant, um, the text said, I legitimately just spit my beer out laughing. Um, I mean, that would be sick. I, <laughs> I always said, I always said that one season when it was uh, LaBello Ball. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, he got an offer. I was like, why, do, why doesn't Bryant just offer them? Like, what? Because I asked you, I was like, what is, is there anything like, deterrent on a school offering like x amount of scholarships and grasso you wrote about it like offered 200 that his offered yeah it was 136 and I'll, I'll read you the quote too because it makes sense it, here's here's a quote from jerry grasso it's quote unquote my philosophy is that if one of those guys who are all my level if not higher want to commit to me today i'll take a commitment from one of them right now yeah so, so why not mellow <laughs> I, I, I literally said it's like if he, people are very um, hesitant on offering him and then some school, some small school in the middle of nowhere offered LaMelo Ball and made headlines. And then people were like, oh, maybe I'll head there as well. Like, obviously, LaMelo didn't go there. <laughs> but, he, didn't, uh, he didn't go to college at all, right? Uh, no, he did like that JBA yeah, that's that what his it was. dad started. And then he went to the... Uh, the Australian League. Yes. Yes. Lamelo Ball College 
offers? Definitely UCLA, right? Well, no, I think they pull or he something happened where it's like he pulled it or he got pulled because his brother stole the stuff in China. <laughs> oh shit, that's right. I forgot about that. That was such a big storyline. Where oh, yeah, so he had committed. He was committed Super- to UCLA. But did they pull did they pull it because of that? I don't know if they pulled it or he just didn't. That's weird. So verbal commits and everybody else wiped it, but he was, I guess there's an article. He was getting recruited by Kansas and USC and what else? That's all I can really see. Yeah, but there was like a small school. I'll have to find the article. There was a small school that offered him before, oh, like all the the big schools were like considering it. Oh, you know, I remember. I remember this. I don't remember what the school was, but I do remember he got because this we talked about this like in an early, 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 time. early episode. This was like maybe even pre-episode 10. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, Vermont finished, just to go back there, you know, America East potentially, uh, Vermont finished 53 in Ken Palm. They got a 13 seed because they were just, I mean, they steamrolled everybody. They beat teams that were sub-100 Ken Palm with East. I mean, UNI, they beat them by 14. They had a bad loss to Maryland. That was in Maryland was like still good though, but. They crushed Yale. They crushed Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. They beat Brown by five. They beat Colgate by 10. That's a big win, beating Colgate by 10. Um, there's no reason if, if Bryant, in theory, were to make a move. Vermont's tough. You might have to learn how to beat Vermont first, but, like, that's a – you know, you you do well in the America East. You beat up on the teams you should, like Hartford, for another year. Um, I think Hartford's still in for one more year, but um, really, I mean, there's I I thought so. I could be wrong, but there's a bunch of bad teams in the America East too, like Binghamton, Maine. Um, I always thought UMass Lowell is an interesting. It's an interesting team, but it's, but the point stands. It's like. You do well there. You beat the teams you should. You have a good out-of-conference play. You could be looking at a 12. I think that's fair. All fair. But we'll have to wait till next season for that. And Sadly. Then, yes, yeah. this is all speculation here. So um, UNC Duke on the one side, and then Villanova-Kansas would have loved for a Villanova-Providence Final Four. Yeah. But c'est la vie. They, honestly, if Providence could just shoot the ball, I mean, they were – taking some awful shots oh. awful shots but I, I do give them credit because their defense i mean what team has held kansas to that many points in a half in a whole game let alone a half um just a, it's a tough way to see them go out yeah when kansas had 66 points it was like 30 at the half though 30 yeah that maybe. Last, they've only Wow, they only didn't crack 60 points or 66 like five times this year. Huh. One of them was then they got rinsed by Kentucky at home too. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's pretty good. Hey, I'm I'm proud of that. You have to wonder, like, what if though? Like, what if they beat Kansas? You saw what the Jayhawks did to Miami. 76 to 50. I mean, you you can't help but think what if. You yeah. can't. Because you somehow get the win. You somehow just eke it out, make a couple of clutch threes. You get to the final or you get to the Elite Eight against Miami. You kick their ass and then you play Villanova in the final four. I mean, yeah. How cool would that have been? Um, regardless, are we throwing some predictions out? I think we should. I mean, to be honest, like I was all for Villanova steamrolling the way they were they originally were playing, but with Justin Moore's injury, I know. I don't think it's I don't think it's a clear cut favorite, like a clear cut sure thing. He was a crucial part of that team too this year, Justin Moore. And Achilles is fucked. He might never be the same, which really no, sucks. No. That takes a lot out of you, especially pop, basketball. Oh. I saw the pop and it was like, it wasn't the most gruesome, but you could just like, you can feel that. You could feel the rupture. I wasn't watching the game and I told myself I wouldn't watch the, the video because it was like a Kevin Ware situation. It's No, it's not that graphic. It's not that graphic at all. You just can physically see when he plants his foot, you just see the pop. Yeah, see, I want no part of that still. Yeah, but that's like Kevin. <laughs> you just compared like an Achilles tear that happens from uh, a lot of injuries to a guy whose whose ankle literally popped out of the skin. I honestly that's think it was apples and oranges, and not even his ankle. His leg, right? Was it his, his kneecap? His, that's... his his bone went literally Ugh. straight through the leg. That's and you nasty. just compared an Achilles tear that All happens. Right. To I, not to that degree, but still, it's like <laughs> it was. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't good, but yeah, it wasn't the worst. Right. I, I, well, yeah, it's true. I guess it wasn't the worst, but like, he's not, he might never play basketball again. Yeah. It was a tough blow for Villanova. Tough, tough blow for Villanova. So you think they get, so am I hearing Kansas to the championship? Am I hearing Villanova? What do you think? No, I just don't think, I, I still think it'll be Villanova to be honest. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those, um, one of those seasons where a number one's not going to make it. Kansas, you know, surprisingly outlasted everybody. I had Kansas, I had Kansas out against Iowa early on, and that obviously <laughs> yeah, never I came to too. fruition. So, I think I th- I do think Villanova gets one more with Connor um, Gillespie, and then yeah, Duke Villanova final. That's a that's an interesting one. Right, that's. That was my final. My championship was Duke Villanova, and I think that's going to happen. I, I think, you know, I like Remy Martin on Kansas a lot. So I'm playing Arizona State a couple of times, and he's – when you eliminate him, there's, like, no other – I mean, there's other weapons on Kansas's team, but there's, like – you know, none of them are as good as Remy Martin, in my opinion. So um, I think they're going to play lockdown defense on him. Uh, this – a Baji guy, this Oche Baji dude. He's another good dude, but I think the the Nova defense is going to clamp down, and I think they're going to eliminate everybody uh, that matters on Kansas. So I'm going to take Villanova. Yeah, and Duke. I just think you can't. Again, you can't screw with destiny. Coach K is going to be very mad. I think this game is going to go to overtime, or 
it's either going to go to overtime and Coach K is going to eke out a small win or Duke's going to win by 40. There's not like a, a world where they win by five or they win by 10 or 15. I think that's what's going on here. So I think we're destined for Duke Nova. Um, Duke wins a championship by five. I think Nova by two. Wow. Rallying around their guy. Nova by two. Big East Coach basketball. K left on the altar on Monday night in New Orleans. That's your prediction. Yeah. No, realistically, Duke will probably, if Duke makes it to, if Duke beats UNC, I think they win the championship as well. Yeah. That would be wild if Coach K was left on the altar, though. Crazy. Um, he would he would throw such a hissy fit. <laughs> who, who can you be mad at though? It's like himself, but blame others. Biggest LeBron. <laughs> Get mad at like Dan Gavin or something or Mark Emmert. I don't know. Whatever. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's March Madness. Somehow we ended up <laughs> we ended up with four champions in the final four. That I think that's funny. I, I I'm with you. I wish St. Peter's would have won. North Carolina was too pissed off. They were pissed off at their draw. They were pissed off at their seating. They got disrespected all year. They took a backseat to Duke. They were mad. And Another one. I thought I thought Marquette was going to upset UNC. Yeah, that's the second that came out. A lot of people said that. I'm like, this fucking team is just too good. Like that, this eight seed is kind of fraudulent. Um, No, I think weren't they? Were they the eight? Yeah, North Carolina was the eight. Marquette was the nine. Yep. Yes. So I don't know. I love Armando Baycott. Like this, this dude is sick. He had six points and fourteen rebounds at halftime against St. Pete's. That's nuts. And I get it. It was St. Peter's. He's bigger than everybody, but like still that's, that's absurd for a team. That's really good. Like St. Pete's. Um, yeah, that kid's, that kid's good. He's got a lot of good things coming for him. Um, to totally change the subject, we'll talk about this next week. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do our predictions. Maybe we'll throw out like an MVP, Cy Young, rookie of the year, that kind of stuff, but baseball's ba- uh, going to be back on April 7th opening day Yankees play the Red Sox uh, as I believe that's the first game of the day um spring training is here I don't really know it's almost gone and now it's almost gone I guess that's a big takeaway it's like they have basically three weeks um we had our fantasy one of two fantasy drafts last week um so now we're, we're getting there. Um, I think there are some guys that I honestly didn't know were going to have the years that they, that people said they were, um, you know, Bobby Witt, Spencer Torkelson, two guys that we've got to keep our eyes out for. Um, they could have starting jobs in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. it's cool. We're going to have, we're going to see a lot of rookies this year. Um, the big thing though, Albert Pujols is running it back one year with the Cardinals. He's going to do it with Yadier and Wainwright for one last go around probably. And then they're probably going to all retire, but um, I don't know. You think this gives the Cardinals a little kick in the ass this year? I think it's more of a ceremonial sentimental thing, but the Cardinals are a great team. I mean, you have Arnado in third base. Uh, Tyler O'Neill is going to be one of those young guys that is just elevating through Um elevating through the MLB and I mean he he came out hot last year the Cardinals they went to the playoffs after winning like 19 or 20 straight games right it was something crazy like that yeah they did something nuts last year I I honestly don't even remember Um, so I I mean the Cardinals have always been a very solid team but again in 
Albert Pujols's, you know, what was it, 11, 12 seasons? It was 11 seasons with the Cardinals. He had three MVPs and two World Series titles. Yeah, that's pretty, like, that's a guy. 445 home runs. Somebody you herald when he comes back. Yeah, I, I was surprised it didn't happen last year. Um, and again, he was like, a 10-time all-star, too. Yeah, like, Albert Pujols did it right. I mean, he, he brought something to the city of St. Louis, won a couple titles, was this, I mean – as a as a kid, it was like Albert Pujols, the machine. You lo- you looked up and it was like holy shit. He was like, I think unquestionably the first baseman that people looked up to. Like hundred percent, hundred percent. And then you get the bag from the Angels. Doesn't really pan out because it was like it was like Albert Pujols, uh, Mark Hamilton, um, who else? Justin Upton. It was like a very like old. Former I mean, all-star. Wait, you Not, mean Josh Hamilton? Right? Josh Hamilton, yes. Yeah. The, um, um, the, in the that home run derby at Yankee Stadium, weren't they all in it? Yeah. So, but it was cool to see him as a Dodger. I mean, he got to play some first base again, which was which was actually kind of That's uh, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like the move. Um, I think it's 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 super cool for St. Louis, and who knows? I mean, the NL it seems to be Dodgers land, but. You know, there's a couple dark horse teams that can make a splash. I think St. Louis could be one of them. And just they have, I don't know, they've got some questions for me. Like I'm looking at their depth chart. It's is Jack Flaherty going to come back, and is he going to be the same as he was? Right. I mean, their rotation just Wainwright's Wainwright's old, but he's, yeah, he's he did uh, very well last year. What's 1981? What does that make him? Does that make him 41? Um, he's going to be 41 this year. Damn. Yeah. Steven yeah, Matz is solid. That's what I was going to say. But Matz is like, I don't know. Is he a three starter? I, I'm not sure about that. Miles Mikolas, sure. Wait, Dakota the fact Hudson, that um, offered, you don't Giovanni. Know. Um, yeah, Gallegos from the Gallegos is the closer. For a, a bag of chips. It was Luke Ooh, Voigt. Who I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but That's um, so dumb. Oh, they have Goldschmidt. I forgot about that. Yachty's still Yachty. So what's so I guess the plan is for Pujols to like you know spot start Goldie, and it also be DH right. That's yeah, and then they can give Goldie a break too. Yeah, Tommy Edmond should be really good. This is a super utility second baseman kid. Um, Paul DeYoung in the outfield, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carl. Yeah, like this is this isn't it's, a great team on paper. They've got some good yeah. pieces, but they need some pitching, man. They maybe they'll. I can see the Cardinals like winning, like being right in the middle of, of the playoff race, not really there, like maybe a few games back and then going and getting some pitching, you know, mm. whoever's could, available. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll do predictions and stuff. Like I think next week we should do MVP, uh, you know, like way too early predictions, rookie of the year at Cy Young. Oh, yeah. We'll do a full baseball, a full yeah. baseball. Ne- next week before the, before the season starts, we do a full baseball. Um, I think that'll be good. To go on record, uh, so we have something to look back at here. We'll follow it up and we'll close it out. This is our bonus segment here, our BBB bonus. If you have a phone and you saw Chris Rock and Will Smith, that's just that simple. Um, Chris Rock's talking about how Jada Pinkett Smith looks like G.I. Jane. Um, 
Will Smith's laughing and then Jada says something to him and he goes up and slaps Chris Rock across the face. Oh, I woke up. I, I didn't watch the Oscars. I woke up. I'm like, what the fuck is this? What are we doing now, world? Um, you put this on Twitter. Real or staged? Um, it was 50-50, the poll, so... I don't know. I'm still having trouble with this. I'll, let's hear your verdict. It's real. It's real. Down. I mean, and I that was I. It can't not be real. It's That's... been it's been over 24 hours at this point. The the look on Jada Pickett Smith's face, the fake laugh, kind of like haha, the shockness from Chris Rock, and then the choice words after. It's got to be real. It's got to be real. Plus, like, the apology, the Oscars doing an re- uh, investigation, and the crying during his win. You know, that's just shout-out to Chris Rock for keeping the, keeping the show rolling, as well as just, like, not flipping out himself. But tough look on Will Smith. That's all I got to say. All right, I'm not the, not the purveyor of all truth here. Like, nothing that I say should be, like, the – the end all be all but this guy's a fucking comedian like chris yeah. rock if you're so surprised that like uh, at our was the joke off color sure. listen yeah, I, it was a low-hanging fruit joke she has alopecia i get that chris rock's the host you know supposedly they've had beef since like 2016 you're sitting front row it yeah see that seem, i didn't know it did seem staged like all in all but then again it's like will smith jada pickett smith dr- dragged your name through the mud sat down at the red table and said i was banging other dudes and you just were like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. meanwhile like she makes her rolls her eyes because of a, a gi jane joke and then you feel the need to slap on the biggest stage like you're probably never gonna a get f bombs on live tv too. you're probably never gonna get invited back well that's what the academy should do i don't think they should invite him back honestly so which sucks because this i believe was his first oscar ever it was? I'm pretty sure. Wow. No shit. I can't I can't challenge it. I have no idea. Yeah. Um no way. Huh. I learned something new today. Um yeah, there's there's no way in my opinion that it was fake. Um I th- uh, are we going with that as an appropriate punishment for him? He shouldn't be invited back. I mean I agree. I don't know. You're not going to take an award away. Like the award does not have to do with the actions, but. Well, it could. No, he won that before the slap. Well, so let me rephrase. The envelope was sealed. Well, I'm saying it does. It's not that it doesn't. It's not that it like directly relates to what he did, but here's a thought. I mean, like you you punish him, you say, all right, screw it. We're taking the Oscar back. I think that's that's fun. No, come on. (laughs) Take away the Oscar. That's. You have to punish him too, but also that. No, because his actions has nothing to do with the award itself. His actions have to do with like the attendance. So have him just not be invited back. I can't believe he won best actor too. <laughs> it wasn't even like some small Oscar. It was like best actor. No, Academy is, Award yeah. that. King Richards was a good movie. <laughs> I didn't even see it. Damn. So, Will Smith, real, came from the heart. Don't slap someone in public like that. Or just in Dude, general. take it outside. Like, go, like, 
No one would have thing if it, he, he took it outside afterwards. Or if he just said, like, keep my wife's name out your mouth. Like, if he just said that. He could have just said that, and Chris Rock would have made a couple jokes. Will Smith could have nodded his head yeah. and be like, yeah. The slap God, makes no sense, but. Just punch him in the face after, like, afterwards. That's fine. Who cares? Settle it. Settle it off the biggest stage. Um, I don't know. So that 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 was our bonus segment. We haven't done our BBB bonus in, in quite some time. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That was one of those that you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened. But all right, that was episode 81, Beers, Business, and Balls. Check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts and make sure if you are listening to this to vote in our finals for the best Rhode Island brewery, uh, which we should have shortly. That's Will and I'm Jake. We'll see you next week. So long, folks. Take it easy. Thank you.